drive. We were out there on Sunday going to Colorado and then missed it on Saturday. Yeah. I like finished watching the IndyCar race this past Sunday and be like, man, I wonder what time this, uh, this Martinsville race is going to go. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I missed it last night. <laughs> yeah. Right now, the first car one lap down is Brad and Joe. I hit his tire. I hit his tire. Hello everyone and welcome to the show with Brad and Joe. It's one lap down, lap 47 here on a very busy episode. Brad, as usual, traveling around and getting the job done, uh, but able to uh, join us this week from the car slash the house and Got back from Colorado. Man, yep. last time we had a show, you said, I wish I had a weekend like you're going to have, Joe. But ever since then, you're the one that's been gallivanting all over the place. Yeah, I'm feeling great, man. We got out to uh, Colorado last week. Unfortunately, didn't get a chance to record. But really, we only had the NASCAR race in Richmond to, to recap, which I can hit a little bit this week. Uh, hear a little bit how you were doing out there at the race. But yeah, I kind of got a, a lot of stuff done and went out. Uh, my fiance, uh, Steph, her family are all skiers. So I got my first chance putting on some ski boots and skiing out in Colorado. And uh, it was great learning. Uh, not nearly to the level uh, that that family is, though. So I had a really good time, enjoyed some mountain weather and, uh, you know, back in Virginia now. So uh, fortunately, got a chance to get back uh, late Saturday night and was all kind of wired for drinking coffee and driving back home from the airport. So I got a chance to kind of force me to stay up to watch the Australian Grand Prix live at 1 a.m. East Coast time and, and then set up for a good Sunday. So what about you? How have you been this past week? Pretty good. Uh, in a similar position as you, it's always good to be humbled by something. Uh, I recently was given a, I, uh, a racing simulator to use in my apartment, and uh, it's been good. It's been fun to create some paint schemes and put them on the track and then when I get in an actual race, I'm like, man, I suck at this. So uh, just like you, gotta just got to keep practicing to see, uh, yeah. see what kind of progress we can make. Well, we had NASCAR Heat 5, uh, right? And that was uh, trying to figure out that Xbox game. And I just gave up. So don't <laughs> give up. Don't give up on the race simulator. The uh, is a little nevertheless, uh, of course, we've got a lot to talk about this week with F1, NASCAR, and IndyCar all in action this weekend. But first, let's get out of the gate with two topics. One that was on our show list from last week that we didn't get to, of course, and then one from uh, an event that took place this weekend. But first and foremost, um, not so much coming into or since the Australian Grand Prix, but going into the Grand Prix, Red Bull was talking about the their need or their desire to keep Pierre Gasly uh, on the team, but knowing that he will most likely not accept an Alpha Tauri ride. So Helmut Marco going as far as saying, um, you know, in kind of innuendo terms, putting him back on the Red Bull team with Max Verstappen because Perez's contract is up after this year. And I, I don't know how I feel about this, Brad. I mean, I like Max. I like Checo. I think it's a good team dynamic uh, part of it. And I know Gasly is a great driver, but I really don't think it's fair to Checo to already be talking about where he could land next year. No, nothing seems fair, right? And this is our first, like, true silly season since becoming fans, right? Because there was so much that was already set last year 
where it was just going to be the same thing over, you know, from what they had the last the year before. And, you know, with the new setups, they didn't really want to have a lot of driver turnover. And so you kind of see what fresh so much time and with people switching rides and kind of some of the, the different comments. Yeah. And I, I guess for me, the, the Gasly part of it, I, I don't, I guess it sucks to me that both those guys are so likable and they're good underdog stories most of the time. But at, at, at the same time, if I'm Pierre Gasly, and I'll ask you this question, wouldn't you want to try something else? I mean, even though you're not on the Red Bull team, you're still within the organization. Maybe it's a chance for him to go somewhere else and see what he can do. What's well, the thing? I mean, he already he already was given the back seat, right? Two years ago, like he had the Red Bull seat, and they kicked him out of there, right? And they put Alex Albon in, and you see how that worked out. Like, <laughs> I just I, I'm surprised that he's hung around this long because he is a very talented driver, and he has done really great things. So, you know, I think that you know, I, I kind of look at like to me, and I think J Mac was the one that identified the dream French lineup over at Alpine. Mm. You know, to have, uh, you know, to have Esteban Ocon over there and to have Pierre Gasly together. But the way that Fernando Alonso is driving right now, you know, I, I, I don't see him being done after this year. Right. Like, I think right. that he's got a few more years and they'll obviously want to keep him. Uh, it's weird that they're saying that about about Checo being in, in hot water, because, I mean, he is their top point scorer on the team right now. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. It's just kind of, you know, he's he's got a pole position and you know, he's got more points. At least he's he's got a car that's finished two races. So, you know, I think that it's it's interesting that, you know, what the way that they're going to maneuver this. And uh, I don't know. I just I, I worry with you that Checo's going to end up without a home because they're trying to keep this driver who probably doesn't even want to be there. Yeah, I would even want to stay, stay within the. Um... The organization, but and, and on top of that, there aren't any seats open. I mean, I guess if Vettel retires, he could go to Aston Martin, but at that point, you just stay with Alpha Tauri because Aston Martin's trash right now. So it's still too early to to know for sure. But uh, I just thought it was interesting that we're already having these conversations. Speaking of conversations and altercations, Ty Gibbs and Sam Mayer in the Xfinity race on Saturday, excuse me, Friday night at Martinsville. Got into it after uh, one was moved by his teammate, uh, Ty Gibbs, moved out of the way on the last overtime restart, and Brandon Jones ended up going on to win the race, uh, played it very well. But the next lap, the very last lap of the race, Sam Mayer got into Ty Gibbs, who in two laps went from first to eighth because of people being aggressive to him, whereas uh, he's got a reputation of being aggressive himself, and added to that reputation with punching Sam Mayer multiple times, um, not, I was trying to say unprovoked, but they were just trying to, Sam just wanted to have a chat, take your helmet off, Ty, let's talk. Ty kept his helmet on, punched somebody else, and um, actually in the aftermath, an official got hurt too, Brad. Um, not a good look for Ty Gibbs, but I will ask this, is it, does it tarnish anything for NASCAR, or is this something that's just going to make it a little bit more popular? I don't know, Joe. I mean, ever since that I've become a fan, like people miss this stuff. Like that's what they want to see. They want this like kind of like WWE hybrid, more kind of rough style. So, I mean, like I, keeping your helmet on and then having an official get hurt, like that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. So I don't think it hurts NASCAR. I think it's going to get people talking and get people fired up. 
Uh, have we seen like what the repercussions have been yet? Have we like what you know? What, what are we facing here? I mean, how has NASCAR responded? Yeah, nothing as of yet. I know that both drivers had to go to the NASCAR hauler, if you will, where the uh, NASCAR version of the stewards are. Uh, if you if you think of it in F one terms, but don't know what came out of that. I know what, uh, I know what the hauler is. I'm not I'm not that. Well, I, was, I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily saying it to you, uh, just to, to to maybe some of our fans. But but nevertheless, um, I'm in total agreement with you that this is something that people have clamored for. I think the problem is the very week before, seven six days before that, Ty Gibbs moved his own teammate out of the way on the last lap for the win, and in this case, Ty Gibbs wasn't going to win the race. And he got moved and he treated it like he got, you know, bumped out of the way for, for the win or a last lap wreck or something, you know, to that effect. So uh, right. I, I just think that it was very hot-headed. Um, but unfortunately, something that we've come to expect from Ty Gibbs and, um, you know, somebody who has 100% job security, maybe that's just what we have to suspect. Yeah, I mean, I and you, I just you never know. I never know like what the drivers are talking about about what goes, what doesn't go. Like, I, I'm very confused on like kind of like the the unwritten rules within within like NASCAR and Xfinity, and especially you know because a lot of those Xfinity guys are competing for a top ride in the Cup Series, right? Yeah. So like, so you know like what what are the unwritten rules and what goes, what doesn't go? Like, what's personal, what's not? And this is one that seemed that blurred the lines between something personal and something that's just a, you know, hot-headed, fight it out, move on type of thing. Like, it just doesn't seem like that. Like, why is stuff festering and lingering around? Well, bottom line for me, whether you're having just a heated conversation or you're going to fight, take the helmet off. Don't, don't it just looks bad. That's not going to, even the casual person who knows nothing about NASCAR is like, that dude, that's not fair. That's not right. He should take the helmet off. But let's move on. We still have a lot to cover. And uh, let's go open wheel racing with our F1 folks down under in Australia. And it's lights out and away we go. Victoire de Pierre So third race of the year for people like Brad and myself, pretty late slash early uh, on a Saturday, Sunday with a 1 a.m. start. But in the end, we see... Charles Leclerc with the Grand Slam finish gets the pole, gets the fastest lap, leads all the laps, and wins the race in convincing fashion, winning two out of the first three races to start the year. Brad, you've got the top 10, and you get first dibs on thoughts about Charles Leclerc's dominance. All right, Formula One top 10. And we'll start off with my personal favorite storyline of the entire race, mm -hmm. Alex, Alex Albon. In, a Williams, in his third race at Williams, scores a championship point. Uh, 58 laps or 57 laps of a 58 lap race on a one set of hard tires. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, really felt like he wasn't going to get that point running in seventh, but was able to come out right, right ahead of Joe Guan Yu and uh, gets that championship point. Worth taking a second to recognize that. I loved that race out of Alex Albon. Ninth place, we talked about him earlier, Pierre Gasly in the Alfa Tari. Uh, eighth place, Valtteri Bottas uh, rolling along his Alfa Romeo. Uh, seventh place, Esteban Alcon in the Alpine. Uh, and I think that's really where the storyline of the race was. That seventh through twelfth, just that like really good racing all the mm -hmm. way throughout. That is, you know, they didn't really harp on it as much this week. But I think that's where we are going to see the difference with these new cars 
not necessarily up front, but in the midfield. And hey, good racing is good racing no matter where it is. And that was fun to watch. Uh, then we get into sixth place. Uh, brought me a lot of joy to see the McLaren of Daniel Ricardo at his home Grand Prix. Great race weekend for him. Uh, McLaren teammate Lando Norris in fifth place. Loved seeing that as well. Uh, and then a big weekend for Mercedes. One you felt like is just kind of, it feels ominous. Lewis Hamilton in fourth. George Russell in third. They're coming, Joe. I swear it. They're mm-hmm. coming. And, uh, and then we get into uh, our second place finish, Sergio Perez. Uh, it feels wrong to call him that. We'll call him Checo in second. <laughs> and Charles Leclerc, just, I mean, driving a lonely race way out there in front. Wins by over 20 seconds. A uh, couple of names that you're not going to be surprised if you didn't watch the race. Carlos Sainz, where was he? Well, he spun out on the second lap of the race, trying to make up some ground after tough luck in qualifying. And then Max Verstappen, again, Max Verstappen has to take a DNF because of engine trouble. So um, maybe you want to start there real quick. What are your thoughts on that? It's pretty uh, annoying that uh, a team like Red Bull, I understand that they're doing kind of their own engine thing a little bit. Honda's still there to help, but just not out front. Uh, but it's two times it's been a fuel issue. They've come out since the race and said that there was uh, another uh, a fuel leak. That's the smell that Max uh, was smelling when he came on the radio and eventually um, pulled off to the side and, and was done. Uh, it just feels like it's unacceptable for what's supposed to be a top two team on the grid and has the defending driver's champion uh, leading the charge for him. Um, for, for him to have, you know, the first race, both him and Checo had an issue. This time it was just his car. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't feel right. Um, you know, if you're going to be fast, that's great, but you need to be reliable too. You got to make it to the end of the race. Uh, and right now his car has proven that he really can't, can't do that, uh, overall. So they got to fix it. They got to fix it fast. Uh, it's only three races in, but there's only 20 races left and the way Ferrari looks right now. I mean, I know Carlos had issues this weekend, but in general, their car is always going to be top three, top four. Charles is on a torrid pace. Um, Red Bull's got to figure it out before Imola, or it could be over before it gets started. I agree. I agree. And they asked Max after the race about championship and all that. And he was very clear, like, we're not talking about that yet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen for Red Bull. But and we saw before last year, we thought Lewis was going to run away with it. And then we thought Max was going to run away with it. And the way that a, a Formula One season swings, like, there's going to be a lot that happens. So I'm not too concerned yet. But, you know, here, here we are. And I, I think it's entertaining. It's, it's kind of fun to see uh, Leclerc out front. Um, I'm going to be eager to see if Carlos can challenge him with some better luck and this is a long way. This was a long season, 20, 20 races left. Yeah, and let's look at the – you mentioned the midfield battle on the track, but if you look at second place on back to sixth place in the standings, there's just 12 points that separate four drivers, uh, those drivers being, of course, George Russell in second, Carlos Sainz third, Checo's fourth, Lewis Hamilton fifth, and Max Verstappen sixth. Uh, who do you think's got the best chance to prevail? And, again, we just said it's early, but – we're starting to get an idea of who may have, at least to this point, better chances moving forward. I mean, my mind, I'm thinking Max, if they get the car right, Max will eventually uh, outlast all those other cars because of the way that when the car does perform, he is the second best driver on the grid. But um, any thoughts to maybe George Russell taking the torch and leading the way for Mercedes as opposed to Lewis? It's tough, right? Because – he looks good and he's looked a lot better than Lewis so far mm-hmm. this season. 
you know, is this, is this a consequence of just, I mean, if, if the Mercedes just isn't there, George is used to ro- rolling with a car that's not there, right? Is he just more experienced and kind yeah. of hand- wild car and Lewis is just uncomfortable with it? it there's just so much that's going to play out that it's, it's tough to say. I think I'd agree with you because Max's car is there, right? It's not like it's a, a aero package type of thing or an engine like specific thing. It's, it's, it's been a leak, right? And leaks are fixed. It's not like they have to overhaul the whole car. We've seen the speed, we've seen the performance, and we know what kind of driver he is. So I agree with you there. You know, I think that really kind of like out, out of the group, though, I just, I really look to, you know, you didn't mention Carlos Sainz, but I honestly, I just, I've always thought that he's better than Charles Leclerc. And I think that he's the one that if I had to pick somebody other than Leclerc right now that's going to win, I'm going to go with Carlos Sainz. We know the Ferrari, what is what it can do. Carlos is patient. Obviously, he was frustrated trying to work his way back up this past weekend. But I feel like that was a result of team orders, not necessarily his impatient driving style. They knew that it was going to be a tough track to pass on. They knew that he had to make it happen early before he got caught in some of those DRS trains. And he, he gambled and risked, right? So he's the one to keep an eye on for me. Speaking of team orders, um, by the way, how funny was it that George was told to let Checo go around him? It just Oof. seemed so odd. Oof, right? Yeah. For position, like I don't, it didn't make. I guess they didn't want to push the car too much, but uh, that was so odd to me that I've never. You've heard team orders where, like, hey, let Lewis go around you, don't fight him, whatever. But it's very rare that you're like telling your driver, yeah, go ahead and give up this spot because. We don't want you to fight this other team. It just seems backwards. Yeah, it, yeah it, I, I don't know. I don't get it. And maybe they were – maybe they're just still trying to figure out what they've got and knew their fight wasn't with Red Bull this weekend. But later on, like, that's one thing about Mercedes as well, right? They, they know what they're doing, and they're patient. And Lewis is patient, and they understand it. But, yeah, it sounded pretty funky, and especially when George expressed his, his dismay with that. Yeah, and he just said – he, he just said no, didn't he? Or I don't yeah. want to, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't blame him. No, We're definitely gonna, not. Where are we going to next, Joe? We're headed to Imola, April 24th at 9 a.m. East Coast time uh, to Italy. Uh, it's going to be our first sprint race of the season. Just like last year, they're going to have three sprint races, those tracks being Imola, the Red Bull Ring, and Interlagos. So qualifying, uh, practice, practice and qualifying will be adjusted This time around, the sprint race on Saturday will set the order for the race on Sunday. Uh, In case you're um, not familiar or don't remember, sprint races are 100 kilometers long. Don't ask me the conversion. I don't know what it is. Uh, But they last about 25 to 30 minutes. So it'll be really quick, uh, but still crucial for your start on Sunday. And um, the first time they did this, or second time they did this, was Monza last year. Daniel Ricciardo started second in the sprint race and got the win and ended up being on the front row leading the uh, entire Italian Grand Prix. Uh, so it could be, could be that important. We'll have to find out on uh, April 24th. So with that, let's bring it back stateside and uh, head down south, not too far from us in Martinsville, Virginia. It's showtime. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Ooh, let's go racing today, boys. Time for mostly ovals for our NASCAR race. William Byron becomes the first repeat winner this season in what was an extremely boring race from Martinsville, Virginia, a very unlike Martinsville race, um, had less than 10 cautions. And 
was not a race where we saw a lot of passing. Uh, there's a lot of information online. You can read articles and uh, what drivers had to say, but they were very disappointed by the racing that took place at Martinsville, which was in their, in their 75th year of uh, being on the schedule. In fact, it's one of only two tracks that were around before NASCAR became a sanctioning body uh, that was on the schedule. So very big deal to have them there this year, and the race did not really live up to those expectations. Here are your top 10, which featured seven different teams inside the top 10. Chase Elliott, who led over 200 laps, finished 10th because of poor pitch strategy. Chase Briscoe in ninth place. Eric Almirola in eighth. He continues to have a very consistent year. Uh, he's had a top 10 in every race this season in his final year in NASCAR, retiring at the end of the season. Kyle Busch in seventh in front of or behind his older brother, Kurt Busch in sixth. Ross Chastain went from the 20s to the fifth place finish at the end. He started 27th. He definitely had uh, the best day out of anybody else other than William Byron or Austin Dillon. I'll get to that in a moment. Ryan Blaney finishing fourth. Austin Dillon in third. He started 23rd, so a good day for RCR and Austin Dillon. Joe Logano had a chance there at the end for William Byron, but he even said it. He just couldn't get there. The dirty air wasn't allowing him to get there. Uh, he finishes second, and William Byron uh, gets the win from Martinsville Speedway. My biggest takeaway, other than the boring race itself, is those seven teams finishing in the top ten. Uh, Brad, we continue to see parity with NASCAR, even though Hendrick is getting a lot of the wins. We're seeing a, a lot of other teams being able to at least fight for top ten and top five finishes, which, again, is the whole point of this car. So even though we had issues passing this weekend, it's still uh, a car that's proving that any team has a chance on any given race day. Yeah. And, you know, unlike the other racing series that we watch, you know, it's, it's, you know, these ovals are all so different and you wonder if one's going to favor a team or another or a driver or another. And yeah, th this is one where, you know, I think it's maybe, is this the hook that NASCAR needed to keep people more invested throughout a whole season? For sure. I think if you're trying to pull in new audience, which they are, it's very clear. Uh, in order to keep that new audience, they need to feel like whoever they picked as their favorite driver has a chance and that they're going to be entertained when they uh, sit down for three or four hours to watch the race. Uh, unfortunately, the race itself didn't live up to that, but uh, in general, if you are a fan of any team that's on that grid, you felt pretty good about the way you know one of one or more of their drivers finished. So I think you got to have that. You can't bring in new fans and have the same drivers or the same teams always dominating. So to that end, NASCAR, I think, is in a good spot to continue their growth. Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. I mean, that's where. You know, this is what we need to see. We, we complain. I'm done complaining about the length of the races. But, you know, it, it, you know, it we, goes back. Just like you said, you, you stopped watching a lot of NASCAR when Jimmy Johnson just won everything, right? That was when you fell off as a fan. So keeping that variability, keeping that parity in there um, and, you know, and, and creating something that is, you know, unexpected, right? So that's, that's what I get out of it. Um, you know, I, I'm eager to get back into my my weekend routine. And I told you before, I didn't get to watch the races live and watch the full races. So just kind of catching up on recaps and highlights. And, um, you know, I think, like you said, not a very exciting race in Martinsville, but definitely uh, an opportunity. Uh, you know, Will Byron looks great. And there's a couple mm -hmm. of wins now. And um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, uh, you know where 
you know, again, these young drivers is the storyline for me. We'll see what they can do on another different track. And we're talking about more than just banking. We're talking about dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway, the last great Coliseum. And it'll be a night race this year. Last year it was during the day and the sun, along with the dirt and dust flying up, became an issue for the drivers. So this year, Easter Sunday, 7 o'clock start on Fox. They'll have uh, plus 40 plus cars on the track on the dirt to go around Bristol and see who can uh, take the win. Last year was Joey Logano, who won the inaugural event and was able to collect that uh, sword they give out for a win at Bristol. Uh, so we'll see what happens this weekend. Again, Easter Sunday, 7 p.m. from Bristol, Tennessee. All right, we've got one more to get to. Back to open wheels. This is All-American Open Wheeled Madness. And it was pretty maddening to watch this race over the weekend from Long Beach. It's always a fun one to check out. I'm always impressed with how much these drivers have to fight in the car. And for the second straight race, Joseph Newgarden fought the best. He gets the victory from Long Beach. Uh, another Chevy, the three races so far, the Chevrolet engines, uh, they were outperformed last year. So far, they're outperforming the Hondas this season, even though Honda was second and third. It was Newgarden and Team Penske on top. And as we continue on the trend, Brad is our open-wheeled man. He's got the top 10. All right. So we've got our top 10 from Long Beach. Uh, like I said, that Honda in second place, man, that was the one that I was cheering for. But uh, we'll get to that one working our way up the top 10. So let's start off there in 10th place, right? We're looking at Kyle Kirkwood coming in scoring some points in 10th place. Pretty exciting. Uh, name you recognize in the IndyCar series, Helio Castroneves. Looking forward to a big month of May for him. Uh, Alexander Rossi in eighth. Uh, Graham Rahal coming in seventh, Scott Dixon in sixth, Pato Award in fifth. That was one I want to stop at. Again, one of my favorite drivers seemed really overjoyed after the race. Been a tough start to the season, first couple of races for them. Uh, Pato saying they're just kind of looking to have a solid race and really excited, I think, about that fifth place running there uh, for that McLaren team. So excited for him. Uh, Will Power up in fourth with a great running. Alex Pillow looking like he could have been, I mean, really anybody in these top three could have won the race. Late stages, lots of great racing, uh, but Alex Pillow comes in third. Roman Grosjean, in my opinion, his best IndyCar race with a second place finish up there on the podium. And then, yeah, back-to-back -back wins for Joseph Newgarden. Uh, after the race, interviewed, uh, talking to him, you know, is this going to be, you know, kind of one of those championship runs? Is this something you know, he hadn't done a back-to-back -back win for a long time? And, uh, you know, he seems pretty measured. It doesn't seem like he's getting too far ahead of himself. But, Joe, did you see the post-race interview with him? I did. I did like I, I love this guy, man. I think this guy's yeah. gonna be one of my like more favorite uh in like kind of not just indie but just motorsports mm -hmm. like drivers. This guy is like I mean enthusiastic, he's excited and you know gives a lot of credit to his team and uh I, I don't know, it's just I, I really enjoy this season of IndyCar and and afterwards I know I talked about it a lot after Texas. Uh but again, you know, great race and a lot of fun to watch. 
Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Joseph Newgarden as well. Uh, I didn't choose him as my favorite because I'm trying to go younger on my picks for that, but he's certainly uh, a crowd favorite with his personality and the results he puts on the track. Uh, speaking of my favorite, Colton Herta led 28 laps, got passed in the pits, and then crashed into the wall, uh, much like he did in Nashville last year where he had a commanding lead and uh, had some adversity and, and drove it too hard. I feel like there's a lot of similarities with him, between him and Max Verstappen. Uh, do you think it's just this immaturity he hasn't got quite got, got over yet? He pushes it too hard when he feels like uh, the adversity is too big and you know, if he, if he can't make it happen in two laps, he's done as opposed to playing the long game? Um, it, it might, I don't know if it's immaturity as more as it is inexperience, right? Like it's, you know, you, you got to feel the pressure and especially, you know, these guys got that adrenaline just pumping through them as they're, as they're trying to get up there and make stuff happen. Uh, and he's eager, right? You know, he, need, he needs it. He needs that win. He's going after it like we saw in Nashville last year. I don't know if it's immaturity, though, because, I mean, we saw – who was it that ended up in the flower bed? I mean, we saw all kinds of <laughs> crazy, you know, that as tight as some of those corners are and the hairpin. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that ended up a lot of different ways in that race that were pretty experienced drivers. So, uh, really bummed for him. I, I think Steph and I both just kind of screamed out loud when we saw, uh, you know, him wreck his car and go off the track, you know, un unable to return to the race. It was like, no, like not again. Uh, Cause he really did feel like he had the best car and had the best chance to win, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, it was, a, it was a great race. And again, it was a great race with so many variables because of all the, I, I, it really comes down to having tires and fuel strategy and, and really running a bunch of different things that, that keep it interesting. So yes. again, all of the things that, that are, that you and I are really keyed into with, uh, with IndyCar series. Absolutely. And already looking forward to their next race, which is the Grand Prix of Alabama at Barber Motorsports Park on May 1st. Could be another win for Joseph Newgarden. He has the most wins there out of any driver. He's won three, uh, including back-to-back -back years uh, not that long ago in 2017 and 18. So look out again for number two for Team Penske. Could be leading the way to another victory and putting a stranglehold on that points lead. With that, let's get into our headlines. Four quick hot lap headlines from the show for this week. And we'll start with Alex Bowman being one of the first drivers to showcase what they're going to run at Darlington Raceway when they do their throwback paint schemes. And the reason I put it on here is because it's a pretty good paint scheme for me. It's from the 19, mid-1990s Mark Martin Valvoline car. Uh, it's weird that it's on a Chevy, but it's really cool to see someone who was a big fan of Mark's when he was a kid be able to showcase that uh, appreciation for him now when he takes the track on uh, at, at Darlington. So I already have a early favorite for my favorite paint scheme, throwback paint scheme. Anything Mark Martin, and he's going to fanboy over that. <laughs> um, look at this. 568,000 people. That's over half a million people tuned into ESPN for a 1 a.m. East Coast start for F1. That's unheard of. That's crazy. And that's 1 a.m. You know, and then, you know, we've got even still, I mean, you're looking at that on the West Coast, you're out there, that's a 10 p.m. start. You know, that's not an easy market to tap into. So what a, what a great stat there for yeah. people continuing to turn in, tune in on the American market. ESPN coverage is up 24% year over year uh, for F1. So it's, it's here to stay, I think. Speaking of numbers on TV, over a million tuned in, just over a million tuned into that IndyCar race on NBC. So proving that 
being on network television does really mean a lot because uh, it was just 1.8 million people uh, watching NASCAR on Fox on Saturday night. So IndyCar doesn't get a lot of love in the American market, but it's clear that people do love watching it. Uh, and that showed this weekend as far as the numbers are concerned. Yep. And then uh, kind of a sad point here. Last headline, Carlos Sainz's DNF on Sunday ended his race point streak. Do you know how many races, Joe, off the top of your head? Did you remember? How many races? I didn't know until I put down in the notes. I did not know it was that long. That's pretty impressive. 17, 17 straight races that he was scoring the points. Six most in Ferrari history. Sad to see that come to an end. The most, by the way, is Michael Schumacher, of course, 24. So not that far off from the number one number either for uh, Carlos. Yep. Okay. Yep. High Sorry. side, low side. Here we go. So every week, Brad and I talk about our highlights and lowlights of the previous week. I'm going to go back two weeks on mine and just uh, extend a happy note, comment, however you want to say it, to Richmond Raceway for a very good experience for myself and my mom. We went to the cup race uh, two Sundays ago and uh, were able to go inside the garage, check out what the cars, you know, the crews working on the cars within the garage see the drivers up close and personal when they were uh, being introduced to the rest of the, the, the fans, you know, the, the whole, whole track. Uh, and even on our way out, we, we were, it kind of hit me like, yeah, they're going to be in the car for four hours. There were uh, a line of porter potties on the other side of the fence where the pit stalls were and four drivers standing right there in their suits, just like normal people waiting to use the bathroom because they were getting ready to get in their cars for a while. So uh, it was pretty cool to have that kind of access, clean, very well put together place, great action as well. So really enjoyed that and would definitely recommend if you have a chance to do garage passes or pit passes of any kind, go ahead and do it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I, I, we, we are going to make that happen. We are going to make that happen. So super excited for that. I got, I got one that's going to catch you off guard this week. High side, you know, I could talk about, uh, you know, maybe looking at the McLaren, you know, both teams scoring in the points, lots of other things. But, Joe, I watched a new type of motorsport this weekend, a full race. Okay. You want to take a guess of what it was? Uh, I'm going to say MotoGP. MotoGP at Circuit of the Americas. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, it lasted for about 40 minutes. I mean, these guys are way more active doing what, right. So you can't go on for more than an hour on that. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, had a great race, a lot of different, uh, you know, a, a lot of different things going on with that. Um, I think one of the cool things um, they had, uh, you know, I'm learning and, and the announcers are doing a good job. They obviously know the people watching probably don't know the sport that well, but uh, one of the things that I'm watching in there, uh, we have a guy, uh, uh, what is this guy's name? Mark Marquez. Doesn't mm. even his, his motorcycle doesn't even start. He's one of the favorites to win. Goes to the back, works his way back up to the whole field. Steph and I were glued to it. This Australian Jack Miller's running his mouth after the race. You know, so fired up, wearing a cowboy hat. He ends up third. This is great. I'm gonna watch another one of these races. That was a lot of fun. That's so like you, man. If it's a sport that travels the world and doesn't have fenders, that's going to be your your cup of tea, so or a cup of coffee, I should say. So that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, hey, well, right. we'll have to go to our low side as we always do, and mine's just a quick, you know, disappointment in, in Max and what's going on. Uh, 
you know, finally having a driver who won a championship last year and uh, it's not off to a good start. And it, it definitely affects how I feel about an overall race when reality is, you know, should be happy for fan favorites like Charles and George to be on the podium, Checo for that matter too. Uh, but just definitely my max investment affects my mood uh, when it, when it shouldn't do it as much. So just, just disappointed with, with all that, especially when, you know, you drink caffeine and stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning um, for that finish. It's not my favorite. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. I feel you on that one. And honestly, my low side of the week is with myself. I was all, I was, you know, got a long day of traveling up late watching F1. And, you know, I was ready for a big day on Sunday. We watched the the second half of the race with Steph that, that we had recorded. She didn't stay up to watch the whole thing. Then I watched MotoGP. Then I watched the IndyCar race and I was kind of settling in. I was like, oh, when, when's Martinsville? When's, what time is this race going to start? I'm surprised it's not yet. And I realized my dumb self didn't even realize that it had been on Saturday night. We go one week without without the podcast. And, uh, you know, I'm messing up the start time for all this stuff. So uh, that was my low side. Missed out on that. Well, uh, fortunately for you, you didn't miss a whole lot. But, yeah, be better this week, man. Come on. Uh, we'll, report, we'll report on that next week. Before we go, of course, we've got one final burnout to take a chance and highlight one of the small town tracks across this great land. And I'm going to take a moment to mention Stafford Speedway up in Connecticut. They've got their first practice of the year this weekend and their first race uh, next Saturday. But they've been very helpful in helping me get the live stream stuff established for South Boston Speedway. And they're a track that has some established history, including having drivers like Jeff Bodine, Dale Earnhardt, Jimmy Spencer, Tim Richmond, and Martin Truex Jr. call those tracks uh, home for the weekend or home as they're growing up through the ranks. Uh, so certainly if you're in that area, uh, definitely check it out. And in fact, last year, they were one of the host sites for the SRX series. This year, South Boston is one of those hosts. So it, there, places like Stafford and South Boston are huge tracks uh, for obvious reasons. They've been around for a long time and great drivers come out of those places and uh, love the fact that the Northern states are getting warmed up and are able to showcase some of the best drivers in the area every weekend as well. With that, we want to say thank you for tuning in to our show this week as we head into another lap. Uh, thank you so much for all of your support. You can follow us on Twitter at One Lap Down Pod and Facebook at One Lap Down Podcast. Until next week, I'm Joe Hutzler. I'm Brad Dunn. And we'll talk to you then. Sounds good. We'll see you.